Back in the book of Peter, we've been walking through as a church community the book of 1 Peter. Today we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 8 to 22. Chapter 3, verse 8 to 22. Two weeks ago, we were in chapter 2. We wrapped up chapter 2, where Peter spoke about you and I placing our hope. uh, 1 Peter is really about this eternal hope that Peter continues to draw the people back to. He says, place our hope in Jesus, the cornerstone of faith. Cornerstone of our faith. Jesus, we as living stones, we are built in him. He's the cornerstone. And chapter two touched on the importance of humility. We talked about uh, being able to submit to the structure and the ways that God has created God has the seasons that God has placed us into. Some of you guys share with me after my sermon. Pastor, man, I needed to hear that sermon because I just can't stand my boss. <laughs> or you may be the boss that people cannot stand, right? There's also that, that reality. Um, yet, yet he talked about how we are to submit to authorities and structures that God has established in our season, whether we like it or not, whether they're fair or not, trusting that God is the ultimate authority Above all authorities that are in our lives, we trust that God is the ultimate authority, that nothing passes by Him, no no decision or choices are made uh, outside of His sovereign hand and His purposes. And so Peter encouraged us in chapter 2 for you and I to live as those who are truly free. talked about freedom, using our freedom not to just do whatever we want or cover up our sin, but to what? To be servants, using our freedom to be servants for his purpose. So we're going to be picking up from 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read for us. We'll pick up from verse 8, and we'll read all the way down to verse 22. My, my voice hurts. You guys help me out. All right, open your Bibles. We'll do old, old school style, interactively. I'll read uh, first, verse 8. You guys read verse 9. We'll go back and forth. How about that, all right? Here's verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But even if you should suffer for the righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Because they formerly did not obey, but God's patience waited in the day, 
days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely to water. Together, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this word. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray over this time that you would speak to us. Uh, we, some of us grew up in the church. Some of us have read First Peter over and over again and, and it's gotten, it's become very familiar to us. And it's so easy to miss uh, the very message that you want us to hear. Uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit, your strength, and do more than we could ever do on our own, Lord. Jesus, name we pray. Amen. So three things from the passage we, we just read. One, our words, how we speak, our response, Peter's talking about trials. How do we respond to trial? And our example. Our words. Verse 9, Peter says, Do not repay evil for evil. Instead, continue to live for good. Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are living in an extreme hostile environment. Right? Their neighbors, their friends, their coworkers, they see them as these weird people following this cult following this Jesus fella who supposedly died and resurrected. And, and they're just, they're just living this very paganistic world. And a lot of their experiences was negative, right? Being a Christian in a non-Christian environment. Maybe some of us can relate to that as we work, as we go to school. And, and Peter really comes back to this idea in verse 9. But how do we, how do we speak to people that are speaking against us? How do we, how do we respond to people that might not be championing us. In verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil. Instead, continue to live for good. And he continues to encourage us to endure suffering and not to sin in our suffering. A large part of pursuing goodness that Peter talks about in our passage involves how you and I speak to those who are against us. And there are haters all, all around us. As you live life, as you work, as you go to school, as you build relationships, you're going to have people that do not like you. You're going to have people that are not going to agree with you. My daughter Emma goes to school. And, I, and, and you know, first, I think first year and a half in Korean school, she really enjoyed it. She loved it. Uh, last probably three, four months, she is not enjoying school. And I, I, I keep asking her, like, what's wrong? It's always relationships. This person is in my small group. This person is sitting there. It's, it's relationships, right? Why do we struggle? Most of our struggles, relationships. Uh, and, and, and Peter says, large part of pursuing goodness in our suffering involves how we speak to those who are against us. Verse 10, he says, whoever desires to live good life and see good days, hopefully all of us desire to live good life and see good days, he says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and to do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. In fact, verse 9, the phrase reviling for reviling 
The word literally, reviling, literally means to speak abusively, to insult somebody in a conversation. So when people attempt to insult us or speak ill of us because of our faith or our commitment to Jesus or because of the choices and decisions and values that we, we are living out because of our faith in Jesus, Peter says that doesn't give us license to speak ill of others. In fact, when we refrain, verse 16 says, those who speak malicious, uh, maliciously against our good behavior in Christ will be ashamed for their behavior. That's, Peter says, continue to speak blessing, continue to speak goodness, so that in the end, people that are speaking against you, that they will be ashamed. If you know scripture, scripture continues to talk about importance of how we speak. I mean, all, all of us. You know, you remember a time you're in a conversation with a friend, with your spouse, with your, with your child, with whoever, and you didn't mean to say something. You, you did, and, you're just, and, and things go really sour really quickly. If you've been married, you know what I mean. Like, great, great conversation, you think, and things are going well, and you say something wrong, and then it's like, whoa, it's a war now, right? How do I get here? I didn't intend to you know, say what I said. Uh, and, and James 3 Another, another letter in the, in the New Testament talks about importance of imp- the words, the influence our words hold of, over us. In fact, it says, if you can control your tongue, if one person, if a person can control their tongue, they can actually be in full control of their body. And, and, and James describes, gives this imagery of a boat, this huge boat is controlled by this small rudder. Right? And, our, and in the same way, our words have the ability to guide and direct something much larger. And, and James says it has potential to either give life or to destroy people. Our words have power to give life or to destroy people. Matthew 12, Jesus enters. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Jesus speaks about this good tree, this beautiful tree, and how good tree there's a good tree and a bad tree. And Jesus compares connection between a tree and its fruit, fruit to the relationship between a person's heart and their words. And he says, out of the abundance of the heart, one speaks. Out of the abundance of your heart, words come out. What Jesus is saying is often our words, not our intention, our words reveal what we truly believe. Not what we think we believe or what we, we would like to believe, but our, our words would really often reveal what we truly believe. If you're harboring anger, bitterness, jealousy, or malice, eventually it will be revealed through what we say. When you think about your relationships, right? Some of you guys eat your emotions, right? So, so instead of expressing your frustration or anger, you just kind of keep it and hold it and hold it in until it, it blows up, until it comes out, right? We call that passive-aggressive, right? Passive-aggressiveness. Anybody struggling with passive-aggressive people in your life? I think in some ways, all of us are passive-aggressive. We, we try to eat our emotions. We try to hold it in. But eventually, whether we like it or not, it comes out. 
And I think what, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 12, that out of, out of our abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And, and Peter says in verse 11 of our passage, he says, continue to turn from evil and choose good. Seek peace, pursue it, especially in the way we speak to those that are against us. So friends, next time you're offended, it could be right after the service. It could be your boss emailing you, messaging you. It could be um, tomorrow as you go to work. Next time you're offended or attempting to speak ill against someone who has spoken against you, try to turn from it. Try to seek peace. It's hard. Uh, you know, I tell you, 15 years of ministry, I've had many emails, many uh, reviews of how I fail as a pastor. There was a five-page essay about how I was not a good pastor. And I'll go, you know, so it's hard. I, I'm not saying this is very easy to be able to turn around and be like, yeah, con- you know, bless somebody who's, who's cursing us. Yet, what I've learned over years of ministry, there's nothing good that can come out by you speaking back, by you giving people peace of your mind. Actually, the wisest thing is to not say anything. Right? If you don't got anything good to say, just refrain from saying anything at all. I feel like if I just limited my, my word limit for the day, I would get in less trouble with my kids, with Lois, with my relationships. If I could just speak less, which is hard, which is not easy. It, it takes self-control. But simply refraining from saying all the things that we want to, they're, 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 we create peace. And verse 12, Peter says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. What Peter is doing here is he's, he's quoting Psalm 34. He's, he's, he's showing them his Jewish knowledge. And Psalm 34, he's really, he's really showing people, hey, this is what you ought to pray when you are frustrated, when you feel attacked, when you feel like someone is against you, someone speaking ill against you. Psalm 34. What Psalm 34 is David's prayer of his trust in midst of being hunted by his, his enemies. Right? This was Dave, David wrote this prayer while he was on the run in the land of Philistines, running away from King Saul, who was jealous of David's popularity. And there, David prays this amazing song of Psalm 34, song of his complete trust in the Lord. I don't know if you could read this, but every time... You are tempted. Next time you're tempted, I'll just give you a very practical application. Pray Psalm 34 over those relationships. Pray this psalm over your heart as a reminder. Amen? Very practical. Verse 13 and 17. Our, so that's our words. Verse 13 and 17 is our response to suffering. Last week, Pastor Peter different from Apostle Peter who's writing this letter, Pastor Peter, our guest speaker, he reminded us uh, through the story of the ultimate middle child, Apostle Andrew, the importance of living with a renewed paradigm of life. Right? The call that God has given each of us isn't to be someone great. Pastor Peter said, hey, you think, you think life is fair? You think God should be fair? You think you have to be this great person? He says that's not the goal of life. That's not what Jesus has 
called us to live out. Instead, we're not to be someone of great wealth or accolades or titles. We are called to simply be faithful where God has planted us. And when God calls us home, we go home. I love that. I, I love that, right? Because for me, even as a pastor, <clears throat> I have this desire to be successful. I have this desire to do well, to, to be respected, to, to be known. All of us, wh- whatever you do, whatever um, occupies you, we have this desire. And Pastor Peter says, that's not the, the paradigm of life that God has called us to. He has simply called us to be faithful and it's, when it's time to go home, we go home. And here in the text, Peter reminds us, same thing, this idea of suffering. Right? The suffering would be part of what it means to be Christian. In fact, later in chapter 4 of, of 1 Peter, verse 12, Peter tells you just in your face, do not be surprised at the fiery or, or trials that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Right? He says, you're going to face hard things, difficult things. As you follow Jesus, as you commit to the values of Jesus' kingdom, you're going to run into hard and difficult things. And he says, don't be surprised, verse 13. Instead, he says, rejoice if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. What Peter is saying is, friends, when we commit to living for Jesus, when we commit our lives to become a Christian, we're committing to not this wonderful life of your, your, the amazing life that you could enjoy, the amazing things you could enjoy on this earth. We're committing to a downward journey, the narrow gate, the very road that our Savior has walked before us. Truth is, whenever hard and difficult things happen in our life, at least I'm very surprised. I'm like, Lord, why? Why am I sick? I got to preach tomorrow. Lord, why? Why, why is Emma struggling at school? I'm, you know, like, the, I'm just surprised, right? We are often surprised when trials and challenges and difficult things arrive at our doors. In fact, we assume, right? This is what Pastor Peter touched on last week. We assume if we do our best to obey Jesus, life should get better, not hard. So whenever we face hard and difficult things in life, often it's not faith that comes out, but what comes out of us? Complaints? Mistrust? Accusing God of not providing for us, not caring for us? Because faith is hard. Like, following Jesus is hard. Committing to Jesus is hard. It's much easier not to be a Christian in this climate. And, and again, faith, faith is not easy. Doubt is easy. Complaining to God is easy. Wanting answers and taking control of our situation is a lot easier than trusting God. God, I trust you. A.W. Tozer, an a, a amazing Christian writer, an author, he says this about suffering. He says, suffering has a refining effect on our character. It burns away impurities, strengthens our faith, 
and produces perseverance and endurance. It is in the crucible of suffering that our true selves emerge. It is in the crucible of suffering that our true self selves emerge. What, what, what A.W. Tozer is saying is it's only through suffering we get to discover who we are truly in Christ. And friends, through these seasons of trials and challenges, this is how God grows you and I, right? That's been my experience walking with Jesus. Some of you guys are facing some real hard, difficult things in life. Crisis of life, whether that's physically, you've been hurt and you, you need to be physically well, financially, maybe emotionally, relationally. But here's a wonderful reminder that our passage is giving us, right? That life will continue to have challenges and difficulties. That's just part of what it means to live on this side of eternity. And the lie that Satan love, loves to tell you and I in our trials, in our storms, whatever you're facing today, is that you got to be strong. The lie is you got to figure it out. Sangmin, you got to figure it out. You can't let... You can't be defeated by challenges of life. That's the lie, right? You got to dig deeper. It's up to you to fight this battle. God isn't here. God doesn't care. Yet, friends, the scripture continues, what scripture continues to reveal to us is that God is always present in our suffering, in the storm, in our trials. And, and, and when I look back on my own messy journey of following Jesus last 20-some years, I, I, could comfort, I could comfortly tell you this, that it's through these seasons of trials and difficulties and, and seasons of, I, I want to quit, I want to walk away, I don't want to do this, that God has done His best work. His best work of burning away my self-confidence. Right? That's what trials do does for us right trials is is amazing at burning away our self-reliance so so when we when we planted this church right in the in the beginning you know being part of a church for 10 years and planting i i just felt immense pressure i gotta i gotta do a good job people are following us to plant this church and i just continue to push 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 and, and I could honestly tell you, like, first probably two and a half years, three years of my, our church planting, I just, I just pushed, trying to rely on my own confidence or what I know, what I think I know. And then year three, through trials, through COVID, what God showed me was, tell me, you, you're, you're, you're full of yourself. You just, you, you're so trusting of your own self. You don't realize you need me to build this church. And, and, and those year three, year four, year, year three and four, I, I look back and I'm like, I never want to go through that again. But now I look back, I'm like, you know what? Those were such precious years of God burning away my self-confidence. So whatever you're facing today, it doesn't feel good. I know. It does not feel good right now. You don't want to be in this season. Yet I can tell you, as you trust Jesus, as you lean on him, as you continue to move out of the season with them, you'll look back and say, man, those were good years. Those are so important in, in, in my growth, in my maturity. 
In verse 14, Peter says, have no fear of them. He talks about this idea of fear. Don't be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord. What is Peter saying about this idea of fear? He says, do not fear life more than the one who holds all things together. In other words, Peter is saying, allow your reverence for Christ, your your honoring of Christ, become so great that all other fears have no stronghold in your life. Friends, no matter who you are, you you can be the most courageous person in this room. We all fear something. We all fear something. Fear is inherent emotion that exists within every one of us. It has the power to profoundly shape our choices, our decisions. It can either motivate us or paralyze us. Some of us, we have fear of failure. Right? This, this idea, man, trying something new is so hard for us. And this fear of failure prevents us from taking risks, stepping out of our comfort zones. Some of us, we have fear of rejection, which holds us back from being authentic and vulnerable in our relationships. Some of us have fear of uncertainty, which causes anxiety and stress, prevents us from embracing new opportunities and new things. Fear of loss, right? It can consume us and rob us of our peace. And Peter says, let none of those fears control you in your trial. Instead, fear God. Honor Christ. Remember, this is Peter, the same Peter who found this boldness only after miserably failing. Remember the night of Jesus' arrest? Peter is waiting in the courtyard of the high priest's house. And, was, and as Jesus was being examined, Peter was standing out there and one of the maid servants asked him, weren't you with that teacher? And this painting by Rembrandt uh, captures the scene really wonderfully that Peter has just denied Christ for the third time with, with fearful oaths that he was no disciple of Christ. It was not with them, did not know him. And in the background, shadow stands Jesus looking at Peter. Yet the same Peter, that cowardly, scared, afraid, will not stand up for Jesus, Peter, in Acts 4, boldly stands in front of the same group of people that have examined Jesus. He who had, he, Peter, that feared the maidservant, now confronts the most powerful men, the high priest. In fact, Peter accuses them of killing an innocent man, Jesus, and refuses to remain silent. Right? We see such a transformation. Why? How? How is that possible? This leads us to the final point, our example, verses 18 to 22. Just like chapter 2, here in chapter 3, Peter encourages you and I to once again look to Christ as the model and our example. Verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. In fact, when you look at verses 9 to 12 of our passage that we just read, actually, tell me, can you put us into verses 9 to 12 of First Peter? I just want us to see it. 
this passage, 9 to 12, Peter is really speaking about what Christ has already done for us. Right? Jesus is the righteous one that Peter talks about in this passage. That Jesus is the one the eyes of the Lord is fixated on. Jesus is the one whose prayer is heard by God the Father. And the gospel writers tell us in Jesus' final account, as Jesus hung on that Roman cross, taking his final breath, Jesus prayed. What did he pray? He prayed that those that were gathered, the crowd, that, that, that were spitting at him, they were hurling insults at him, they were saying, you saved others, but you cannot save yourself, mocking him. Jesus prayed for them that God would have mercy. Jesus says, Father, have mercy, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And because Jesus is the one who is righteous, because Jesus is one whose heart is fixated on God, God the Father heard Jesus' prayer. And Peter reminds us, once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we were those who did not receive mercy, have received mercy, chapter 2. And as part of the mercy that Jesus offers you and I, it is not simply that we are saved from our sin, but it's also this invitation to join him in his suffering. This idea of joining Christ in his suffering is a robust theology. And Apostle Paul, another writer, another New Testament writer, he spoke much about, he wrote extensively about this idea of joining Christ in his suffering. Philippians 3, Paul wrote, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So Paul continues to speak about, continues to teach the church about this idea of if you really want to know who Jesus is, if you want to experience this intimacy with Jesus, the best place for you to be able to do that is to join Jesus in his suffering. In fact, Paul says that's the true blessed life. Someone who knows God intimately, someone who knows our Savior intimately, and in order for us to be able to know our Savior intimately, we got to meet Him in our suffering, in His suffering. Friends, through trials and tribulation, what Paul is saying is we forge a deeper bond with Jesus and cultivate a profound understanding of Jesus' sacrificial love. When we suffer, when we struggle, when we go through something really painful and hard for righteousness' sake, what Paul and Peter is saying is when we embrace those things and and, and continue to trust Jesus, we, we find this intimate relationship, we find this intimacy that we cannot find in any other place. Verse 19 and 20, one of the more difficult passages to Try to understand. Um, there, there are several different interpretations. What does it mean that Jesus went down and preached to these people? Three common interpretations. 
One interpretation suggests that after Jesus' death, before his resurrection, he preached the gospel to the spirits of the dead, offering people who did not have the opportunity for salvation. That's one interpretation. Second interpretation, backed by Augustine. Augustine believed that the pre-existent spirit of Christ preached through Noah to the wicked generation that perished in the flood. So Augustine affirmed Christ. When he went down to Hades, it's based on the creed, but he understood it as a declaration of Christ's death rather than the act of preaching. Right? Augustine, Christ did not go down. He, he went down for our death, and he came back alive, right? The final third common interpretation, others say the spirit in prison are fallen angels mentioned in Genesis 6. Very interesting. According to this view, these Evil angelic spirits were responsible for the wickedness of the flood generation and continued to cause trouble on earth. In this interpretation, the crucified and the risen Christ proclaimed his victory over the powers as part of his exaltation to divine sovereignty. Verse 19 and 18, 19, 20, very, very hard to understand. There are more theories, more ideas. But what is clear and not debatable, right? Uh, my, my, my attempt this afternoon isn't to convince you of either of those interpretations. To be honest, I'm still confused. I don't know what, that, I don't know what it really, literally means. Um, but what is clear and not debatable in verses 19 to 20 is Peter's idea of Jesus' authority and Jesus' patience and compassion for those who did not deserve mercy. Whoever they are, we see clearly God's patience, God's kindness. Jesus chose to give away his own life to save the ungodly. And this most certainly includes all of us that are in this room. That's Whoever that Peter is talking about, ultimately he's talking about us, you and I, who are utterly lost, utterly sinful, drowning in our own waters of sin and death. In verse 21, he he talks about this beautiful understanding of baptism. And just as Noah and his family fled to the ark, friends, we flee to Christ in our trials, in our challenges, in our difficulties, we flee to Christ. And in him, we're able to find, we might not find all the answers. I'll tell you what, as you go through these trials and struggles, God might not give you answers that you want to hear. But what you will find is Christ with you, Christ in the storm, in the boat. Let's pray. I'm like, but to pray, let's pray. Uh, but, but I think one, before I pray, I want to give you guys a moment to pray. Um, just f- the few things we've talked about. Our words, um, the way we respond to our trials, and looking to Jesus in our trials. Um, let's take a few minutes coming to the Lord. Uh, whatever prayer requests you may have, whatever concerns or questions, Would you take a few minutes just to come to him and I'll pray for us.
and we'll go into time of communion together. you pray can we also pray for if anyone you know in your life who are struggling who are going through a hard difficult time uh, would you pray for them would you remember them and lift them up uh, that God would God would be shown in through whatever they're facing let's pray for people in our lives Father, we pray for those that are struggling, even in this room. If anyone is struggling uh, with illness, with relationships, financially, with fears that we've talked about, Holy Spirit, would you continue to give us strength? Would you continue to guide us to see Christ above our fears, above our trials? Um, Father, we just pray for your continued grace and guidance, God, in our lives. We thank you for this reminder. We thank you for this gift of participating in your suffering. Lord, would you teach us what that means? you show us what that means. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to know you in your suffering.